welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. This episode is sponsored by Netting Pros. Netting professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Netting professionals specializes in the design, fabrication, and installation of custom netting for backstops, batting cages, dugouts, BP screens, and ball carts. They also design and install digital graphic wall padding, windscreen, turf, turf protectors, dugout benches, dugout cubbies, and more. Netting Professionals is an official partner of the ABCA and continues to provide quality products and services to many high school, college, and professional fields, facilities, and stadiums throughout the country. Netting Professionals are improving programs one facility at a time. Contact them today at 844-620-2707 or info at nettingpros.com. Visit them online at www.nettingpros.com or check out Netting Pros on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Make sure to let CEO Will Miner know that the ABCA sent you. Now on to the podcast. Next up on the ABCA podcast is ABCA A-Tech Division III Coach of the Year, University of Lynchburg Head Coach Lucas Jones. Jones is a Lynchburg alum, so this is a special season for him bringing home Phil Lynchburg's first national championship. Jones took over the Hornets program in 2017 from his head coaching position at Washington and Lee. Jones also had experience as a Division I assistant coach with stops at VCU and George Mason. The 2023 Hornets squad had 48 wins and captured their 10th ODAC title, first regional, super regional, and national championship. Jones announced this summer he was stepping away from the program to focus on his mental health. It's an open and honest conversation on what coaches go through on a daily basis. Welcome Lucas Jones to the podcast. Banging away. It's that uh, time of year again. Getting ready for uh, right. barnstormers and convention and all that good stuff. So it's good. Good. Year four. It's hard to get everybody moved in. Um, your kids. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, as, as they get older um you know it, it's good different challenges though you know as they get older you know, i think you know when when they're little you're you're focused on other things and their activities and then you know as they get older then just hoping they're going to be okay it's a big one yeah for sure. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a scary for sure. world for a parent out there now no doubt no doubt there's so many external yeah, once factors. you feel like you once you feel like you figure out one phase then um <clears throat> The next phase starts to uh, starts to come into the picture, and then yeah. try to navigate all that. And then before you know it, they're off at of college, and then you're yeah. you're dealing with those those aspects of things. So they're they're good though. I mean, they're both fairly mature, and you know, I think I think growing up around college campuses and and college kids, you know, I went through the same thing. I think you know, being around that setting your whole life, I think it, it allows you to maybe be a little bit more mature and not, not at times. Cause I think you're exposed to some other things that maybe some other kids aren't, but I, I think it does help you. Um, 
as you get older, because I think you can communicate with people and, you know, you've had to have conversations with older people your whole life dealing with dad's players and, and some of that stuff. So yeah, I think you're a little yeah, more worldly sure. at times with that because you've been around it. And I, I think you're comfortable on a campus setting then too, because you've been around it, but agreed. That's just my take on it. So you doing okay? Yeah. Doing all right. Doing all right. Yeah. Obviously a little bit of a life shift here for, for a little bit, but yeah. all, all considering, yeah, it's been um good little, good little reset and, and hopefully, you know, it'll lead me back down that path here in a few months, but just trying to kind of day by day it right now. Yeah. I think, you know, the most important thing, and we've done a lot of mental health episodes. I think the, the biggest thing is you got to try to take care of yourself. And that, I think that's really hard for men yep. um, to, to focus on that as needed. But, but if you don't, you just keep letting it go, then, you know, there, there's things that happen, you know, you look at the, the stats now, like there's a lot of things that are going on that we need to try to address. Um, I just think it, it's hard for men to, to be able to take a step back because we're just not ingrained in that way. And I think that's something that we all need to focus on more from a mental health standpoint, physical health standpoint, you know, I, I think you can only just keep being banging your head against the, the wall for so long before you gotta, you gotta make an adjustment. Yeah. Agreed. So here, are Lucas Jones, ABCA, a tech division three coach of the year, Lynchburg won their first national championship and then 48 and eight record. And we talked a little bit in Cedar Rapids on, on practice day. So Lucas, thanks for jumping in with me. Brian, thanks for having me again. Yeah. You know, and a little bit of a life change for you this summer. I mean, it, it, does it, is it easier or harder after you win a national championship? Well, I think just from probably a professional aspect of things, it's, it's probably gets a little bit more difficult just trying to figure out, you know, how to stay, you know, on top of the mountain and, and have that joyous feeling and what that would look like as, as you trans, you know, as you transfer kind of the 2023 season into the 2024 season. But, um, you know, that, that certainly kind of weighs on your mind, but then, yeah, making the decision to, to, to kind of step away for a little while, um, for, for some mental health and, and illness reasons, you know, just kind of put you, you know, put you in a spot of honestly, baseball is the last thing, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about as difficult a decision it was, it's more about just trying to, you know, put myself in a in a good position to feel better and 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 put myself kind of in the moment more than than I probably ever have. Yeah, and just reading a little bit, it seemed like you've been dealing with this for a little bit, correct? Yeah, over specifically probably has resonated over the last five plus seasons, but um, you know, probably well before that. But I just really didn't understand what maybe I was putting myself through or, or kind of what that was, you know, leading to, or kind of those feelings that, you know, ultimately have kind of grown in a not so great healthy way, you know, to get me again to, to kind of making this decision and, um, you know, being able to, to see the 2023 season, which, you know, honestly, originally was, was hard for me to kind of see through. I've, I've kind of had these discussions with myself and my wife and my family for, you know, the last couple of years of, you know, Hey, is this a time to step back? And, you know, through some prayer and some thought, you know, I, I, I wanted to give it at least a 2023 season to, to see um, really that first recruiting class. Cause a lot of those guys were back for their fifth year and, and, and honestly kind of see that through um, and, you know, very fortunate to, to be a part of that. And, 
especially again, what, what kind of lied on the front end to make that decision. Did you share much of that with the team while you're going through it? No, none. Unfortunately, fortunately, depending on how you look at it, um, really the first inkling of, of anything that I was dealing with was the zoom call that informed them to the fact that I wouldn't be returning as a head coach for the 2024 season, you know, and that bees would be taken over. Um, it was, it was pretty quick and to the point. And then, you know, ultimately the goal with kind of sharing the letter, um, you know, online, I'm not a big, you know, social media presence. So that was really my way of, instead of having to feel phone calls, was my way of kind of sharing the the personal side of what I've been dealing with to kind of help you know them understand, and so I kind of shared that before I shared it with with others in the public, just so they again had a sense of why I was doing what I was doing. I just don't know if I had the capacity and um, you know the understanding to communicate my thoughts and feelings about making this decision. So writing for me has always been a little bit more of a an avenue that has served me well in the past to, to be able to share what I've, what I've been dealing with or just feelings on a topic or, or whatnot. Do you journal much? I try to, yeah. Um, I, I try to, I get in habits, good habits where I'm consistently on it and then I'll like some other things I'll, I'll get off track, but yeah, writing has always kind of been my thing. So I, I like to, to journal, but still not to the stage where, you know, I can, I can be the blogger and, and, and some of the You'd things that I mean, have if been you helpful. Like writing, yeah. They've been helpful. No doubt. About, it's, it's helpful, man. Like it, it helps me, yeah. you know, they call it pages. Um, I think it's Cameron is the lady's last name that, um, I think the writer's way is the name of the book. And I haven't really done a lot of that, but there are a lot of good writers out there that, that swear by that, that, that just sit yeah. down and get your thoughts out first thing in the morning. You know, I can't remember Cameron's first name, but yeah, it's called The Writer's Way. Um, so okay. it was good, good episode with her and Tim Ferriss. Um, oh, cool. That Yeah, um, just talking about that. And I, I, again, that's a mental health thing too, is just get your thoughts out and, and rather than hold it in. And I give you a lot of credit because I just don't think many people can probably separate that out and do the job that you did this year with that team when you're dealing with with the other stuff and you know it's good that you're trying to get help right now but it's also a credit to you that you're able to do that and i think as head coaches we all go through that that you don't you try not to bring what you have going on off the field onto the field with your guys because you are the leader of the program but at, at the same time it's your there's gonna be life instances that happen that that you just can't work anything around it yeah, no, I, I, it, it, it gets tiring. It gets exhausting having to present um, in a way that makes people or your team or your coaches feel as though you're doing well um, outwardly. And then the inside, you're just, you know, you're struggling for whatever reason, um, whether it's anxiety, depression, or, or even further. And so, yeah, that, that kind of act every day um, can definitely consume you. And, and unfortunately, you kind of get into, um, especially in a role of leadership, you kind of get into that, you know, question of vulnerability. You get into that question of, hey, you know, what what needs to be shared, what doesn't need to be shared, and then you know that you know world telling you this masculinity, you know, hey, got to be this tough, you know, mentality and and a tough kind of resource for these 
young men that are in your program. And in reality, um, is probably the opposite, right? You need to be able to, to essentially share some of those things that you're dealing with. And, um, you know, because in reverse roles, you know, we ask them, right, this is such a prevalent topic amongst our young people these days, whether it's athletes or just in general. And we, we ask them to share, we ask them, if they're not comfortable with their coaches or their peers, hey, go talk to somebody on campus. I mean, there's days and hours and resources spent to communicate that with with our particular athletes at Lynchburg. But yet in your return as as a coach and an adult, you don't do those same things that you're asking your kids really to do. And you genuinely do want them to attach to those resources. And I just kind of you know, always felt really hypocritical about that because I would always kind of just, again, uh, you know, downplay what I'm dealing with because I needed to make sure that I expressed that I'm in control of these situations and just, you know, human nature, sometimes you're just not, and um, that's okay. <laughs> um, and I think once you rally that group around you and they can understand that, um, you know, it's a relief because you feel that support, you feel that love. Yeah, because they get it, and they're going through it. Like they're they are right in it. The eighteen to twenty four year olds are right in it with with all of that. And I think that's kind of the direction where it's starting to head a little bit more is being a little, a little bit more vulnerable with your team. I think they appreciate it a little bit more, and then I do think it makes it easier for them going forward if they do run into some issues because they're going to deal with a lot of things for, as eighteen to twenty three year olds. And and it just um, you know I felt like at the end when I started to be a little bit more vulnerable with them, I felt better. But then I felt like they felt like they were able to open up a little bit more to me about things that were going on. But we, we got a long way to go. When you look at the numbers, like we got a, a long way to go to to get this thing. I don't think we'll ever get it fixed, but we got a long way to go. Um, I mean, other than that, like I, it has to be gratifying for you. Lynchburg grad from Lynchburg, go out and do what you guys did this year. Um, I mean, did you did you feel come into the year that, OK, we got a chance to do this thing? I, well, I, I, I'm not sure I would sit there and say, you know, at the beginning of all this, like, hey, we're going to be playing the last day of Iowa, but um, or the last day in Iowa. But I, I did feel very strongly about our team, especially on the mound. We just had a lot of depth. We had a lot of young talent that was coming in that was just maybe unproven. So you were just a little uncertain about that. But then we had some horses at the front of the at the front of the line that you know, certainly carried us through that World Series and their performances that, uh, you know, enabled us to 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 have a shot to win this thing. And really the whole postseason, those guys did their thing. And um, w when you have a core like that, that, um, you know, just, you know, it's a, a blessing in the skies almost because all those guys were freshmen and sophomores when, when COVID hit. So we really felt great about that group that came in but then everything kind of stops, but Hey, where they were as freshmen and sophomore versus where they were as seniors in fifth years is just drastically different, right? Their um, mentality is different. Their experiences are different. Their physicality is different. So, yeah, I think we felt confident. Um, I think once we got through the super regional playing in our opinion, one of the best teams in the country at the time, Shenandoah, I think when we got to the World Series, that messaging was, hey, listen, you know, we've we've been tested. 
We've had the experiences to date. We've been able to prevail, prevail uh, in uh, victory over those, you know, four, four week stretches from the conference tournament to the regional, to the super regional. So I think the opponents helped lift us up. Right. And I think not having that, Oh, this is our first time here and having a little bit more of that ownership of, you know what, like, we're pretty good too. Now we do it a lot differently probably than the other seven teams that were there, um, which again was okay. But yeah, I think um, once we started to to get middle to back into the season and Brandon Pond got back to kind of getting in that routine where his pitch count was, was growing over, you know, from injury from over um, the, this previous season. Yeah. I think we started to feel like, okay, this is something that, you know, could be, could be pretty special, but you know, in the end you do need to be stay healthy and you do need to have things that will, will kind of line up accordingly and, and, and have some, have some luck, have some breaks fall your way. And we were fortunate to have all those things. I mean, how much prep work? There's not a lot of turnaround time between when you get done with the supers and then head to the world series. How much prep time were you guys able to do on the opponents? Um, we were able to do a little bit, but it's hard, especially in our pod with East Texas, um, not a whole lot of common opponents there. Um, Wisconsin lacrosse, not a whole lot of common opponents there. And then Salisbury was probably our most recognizable, even though we haven't played them except for a couple regionals in a row. Um, they were probably our common opponent in terms of at least knowing them a little bit better and, and um, knowing who they were and how good they were. And, you know, then we get there and, and just not even playing them. Right. And that's just kind of the tournament format. And, you know, you're expecting, okay, well, you know, they're obviously really good, but so is everybody else. And so that's just kind of how um, it kind of played out interestingly enough. So it's more about at that point, I think just doing what you do well and just kind of focusing on that certainly in game stuff or, prior games i think our assistants did a great job of kind of collecting the information that we had and just formulating a game game plan against some some really good offenses and again it comes down to just what you do well in your execution right you know if you don't have a uh, you know a great slider versus a team that you can beat you know with a slider then obviously we can't make that up in in, in a week's format so it's just about Again, pitching your strengths and and being able to defend, we felt like if we could do that, then we'd we'd have a chance, you know, to score enough runs to 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 win. I mean, what is the mentality there offensively? You know, your pitching is really good. You're going to keep the score down. So, what is the mentality there offensively? Because not that you're offensively challenged, but you know, it, it's almost that two double edged sword. It's like, okay, we don't we we know we don't need to score very many runs, but we still have to score runs. Yeah, I think, I mean, our, we had a thing called the cube all year and it was, it was really kind of formulated around lineups and just different lineups. I think over the course of, you know, the 50 something games, we, we started to get a couple of severe um, crucial injuries at the back end of the season, into the postseason, which, you know, kind of stalled a little bit of what we had done during the regular season. But I think in our 40 regular season games we had used uh, I think it was like 35 or 36 different lineups and it was all centered around the value of the run you know and scoring the run um, again knowing our strengths were going to be defensively knowing our strength was going to be on the mound it was just about okay how do we create more runs right whether it's driving them in or scoring them and so there was a formula that i picked up from actually a, a previous graduate assistant who's now at unc greensboro cody ellis and he had gotten it from um 
uh, one of his one of his colleagues who had gotten it from somebody else, and I kind of took the run value and then kind of incorporated a little bit into our own system with the cube, and it honestly it changed the dynamic of what we were doing. We had some core players that we knew were going to be in there every day, but then we had a pretty good, you know, kind of rotation going and not necessarily like this guy plays this game, this guy plays that game. Some of it was based on matchup. Some of it was based on feeling, um, but it just energized that group, you know, of 13, 14 positional players that were kind of in that conversation because every day they showed up to the ballpark and, Trust me, and then there's some there's some value in hey, here are your nine. They're really good and they're gonna go out, but you're gonna endure injuries, you're gonna endure some struggles, some slumps. And so being able to have that buffer, being able to have that collective group kind of understand what we were trying to do um, as a lineup, and then again, value the run. And and do we want guys that can hit doubles and home runs? Absolutely, but it's also about base running, it's also about putting ourselves in great positions to score. Um, and give those guys those chances to drive and run. So, again, I think that was, you know, uh, our offense, and I've said this a thousand times, like we didn't have a lot of exceptional, like, hitters, like they can do whatever they want to do at the plate. It was more of just a collective general belief in a great offense, and I think that's what we were able to, you know, build throughout the season and, and, and got us going, you know, as we got into the postseason. Did you lay the cube out then for the guys? Be like, hey, this is what's going to look yeah, like. We might have yeah, a bunch we, of different lineups. We're just trying to score as many runs as we can with our pitching and defense. Did you, you communicated that with the guys? Yeah, we did. Um, we tried to kind of do it in, in phases, you know, based on kind of where guys were. It was green, yellow, and 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 purple. Um, and so we just kind of generated that based on where they were. And, and some was production from years past. Like, I mean, Avery Neves um, – you know, he was, I mean, obviously off the charts, two-time All-American player of the year type of guy. And so we kind of based some things off of past year's numbers of what we'd expect. And we had some young guys. We had obviously a middle uh, that were two freshmen. So it's more about projecting, okay, this this guy can produce this many runs throughout the season, um, you know, based on run scored and RBI situations. So, yeah, we tried to do it as, as best we could. And, and funny enough, they just kind of, you know, they um, – that they really bought into that. They got excited about that. And you know, it was kind of like that little running joke, you know, the cube wins again type of thing. And again, there's not a whole lot of algorithm or science to it. It was more about just uh, a game plan and a philosophy that worked for the group, you know, instead of overdoing it, um, just got them excited a little bit more about their role and, and what they could do, you know, cause pitching, I mean, pitching is a little bit easier to navigate because you do have, you know, these, sectors of these roles that these guys play and they kind of know and they can establish themselves a little bit over the season but offensively it can be really hard if you know you know what I'm showing up and you know the guy in front of me is a two-time all-american I know I'm not going to play well no that's not always the case right it might not be in left it might be in right it might be as a dh it might be coming off the bench but the value is the run like how do we do that and again it, it was our philosophy and it may not work every year but with this particular group, we felt like this was gonna this was gonna mesh well with them. I mean, how do those conversations evolve over time with having good freshmen, sophomores, but knowing they're gonna be really good as seniors and and fifth year guys? And there's a lot of luck with that too to have a fifth year guy be able to come back. Like, you know, how do those conversations yeah. evolve over a, a four or five year period with guys? 
Yeah, I mean, I think early on, it's just hammering in them the development, right? The work that it takes. And, um, you know, the Coach Roba show is saying, you know, I remember vividly, like you work while you wait or you work while you play. Uh, we call it work while you perform, right? But same meaning and just as progression goes, hey, if you're fortunate to get on the field and learn while you play, then it becomes a little bit more of, hey, how can we evolve into some things on the field and off the field, right? Our service, our leadership, um, the, the core values of the program, being able to kind of take those and run with them and year to year having those guys believe in that so that the next group coming in, they've experienced it. Now they can help this young man kind of come in and, and grow and transition a little bit easier versus the, hey, well, I'm older now. You have to do all the things that I did and it's just not fair, right? It's just not a fair system when you have what you what you feel like coming in is this hierarchy, and it's just not the way we want to be able to establish ourselves as a culture. We want to have guys that come in that have a belief that, hey, I could feel like I've been here for a day or four years, and it feels like it's home. It feels like it's a group that has the same mission in mind, and you know, certainly there's a learning curve to that, but I think as guys progress, it's more important for them to understand that than for freshmen to really understand that because they're not going to know a lot of what they're dealing with and what they're approaching because they just haven't experienced it yet. And so for those guys to evolve, the Brandon Garcia's, the um, Ben Joneses, the guys that are really good, but we had some guys off the field that, um, you know, didn't get to play early on, but they'll also be able to help this process along and continue to grow this culture. Is that part of the campus environment too at Lynchburg? I think as a wholesale, yeah, I think from, you know, just what the mentality is as a campus community from our athletic director to really a lot of the resources and, and campus involvement, it's just a, it's a neat place. It's a unique place. Um, you know, we're, we're in a college town, so to speak, where you have Liberty right down the road, which is vastly different in terms of numbers and campus layout. And you have Randolph, which is a little bit similar to us, but a little bit smaller, um, so you have, you know, you have a good little network of schools that, um, you know, you're surrounded by. And so when you look around and, yeah, I want to be able to establish kind of, you know, a, a uniqueness and a, a difference about what you're doing. I think certainly if you walk on campus, you'll feel that um, and, and you'll be able to experience that pretty quickly. I mean, what's it say about the high school baseball in Virginia? Your roster is mostly Virginia kids. Yeah. Well, I just, I mean, you look across just even at the division three level, um, I mean, obviously the ODAC outside of Guilford it is all Virginia schools and, and it's one of the toughest conferences in the country, but then you have, you know, CNU doesn't make life any easier there in Newport news. And then you had Mary Washington and Fredericksburg do what they did this year and get in that large bid. Um, and then geographically, obviously you have some really strong schools, um, you know, Salisbury and Maryland and um, some, some mid-Atlantic stuff. But yeah, in Virginia, it's absurd, um, you know, just how much talent is at the Division three level. And I think part of that is because there is really no Division two system. I mean, I think there's, you know, a sporadic school here or there, maybe UVA wise, um, Virginia State, if they're still Division Two, but there's not really that core Division Two system that you're having to battle with. So you'll see a lot of kids that'll make these decisions to go to the Division Three level because, hey, academically it feels a little bit more at home or just an easier transition, 
or, hey, I feel like I can go to one of these programs and had an offer to play at one of these mid-major schools, but really felt like I could make an impact sooner if I decided to go to a Lynchburg or a Macon or, you know, any of these really top high priority programs in our in our state. I mean, did you feel at any point during the year that you were in trouble at all? I mean, no turning points, really. You didn't lose back-to-back games all season. No, I, um, we, we didn't. I mean, I think there was a little bit of, there was a little bit of anxiety. I think when we lost the first game, um, to Bridgewater and the, the, the conference tournament that first weekend, best of three, uh, I was our first home loss of the year. I think we went like 22 or 23 and one at home and that was our only loss. And you just kind of, you, you know, you, you kind of expected it and, and the message was almost like a relief of guys like it's really hard, you know, to, to do anything at this level and in baseball undefeated, right? Whether it's a home record or I said, unfortunately, it just so happened to be, uh, you know, the first game of the conference tournament. And you're still kind of like, all right, I think we're in a good position for an at-large bid, but, you know, we lose two. We don't make it to the next round. It just leaves things up for question and, and kind of out of your control a little bit. So I think that was really the only point. And, you know, the next day they responded, um, you know, really well. And then, you know, ended up getting the rain and having to play, you know, a third day. And um, I think once we got that second game, I think guys felt pretty confident, you know, just again, based on our depth, based on where we were and, and what we had experienced the two seasons before. And almost once we got through that, you know, first weekend, I think everything else, not easy, but it just was like, okay, now we can go. Now we can really kind of excel and do what we need to do. Do you like the championship series format at the World Series? I really liked it this year. I really did. And well, I think it you know, helps. <laughs> yeah, winning it does help. But I think, um, you know, some of the adjustments and again, obviously being our first year, I, I didn't know a whole lot of what to expect. Um, but, um, because it's 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 opposite of how we run our conference tournament. You know, we do the best of three and then the four, where it's the four pod and then the best of three. So kind of that, you know, that was um, unique in a sense of hey, we we've experienced something completely different. You know, three weeks before, but I think the day's rest was really what was really neat. Um, and just talking to some of the uh, NCAA reps and, and talking to some of the coaches that have been there in the past, I think that was a little bit of their frustration is just kind of this run on sentence and you're playing really well. And then you look up and you're having to put a guy in a position um, that's thrown four or five innings all year, which again, like, but you're still in a, you know, you're still in a winner's bracket or in a higher position in the tournament. And you're still having to put these guys in those scenarios and those experiences. It's just not fair to them. And it's just not fair to where you've gotten yourself to. So I think those those built-in days where if you do win those first two, you have that Sunday off, and then you got that automatic day off before the national championship series. So you're rewarded two or three times throughout that week. Um, and so I think that that format itself is just huge for the student athlete experience because it also allows you to, you know, enjoy more than just the baseball part, right? We went to one of our off days up to Field of Dreams and took the team up there on the bus and a lot of the families went. And so we got to experience that. And it's crazy how many, you know, how much memory from that I take from it because half the kids, if not three quarters of kids had never seen the dang movie. And I'm like, fellas, like, come on, like, I feel old. I feel old, but like, 
how have you not seen Field of Dreams? But then they go back and they watch it and they're like, oh my gosh, like what a great movie. And I was just there. So I think some of that too, you get to experience and it's not all baseball all the time is pretty neat for, for what they've been able to do there. And still have the stadium set up. You know, I, I appreciate yeah. that they're actually still playing games there now. Yeah. It's yep. a good, good, good thing that major league baseball did. It shines more of a light on, on there, the field of dreams field. Yeah, for sure. No, it, it was a cool environment and, and something that certainly I'll remember because my kids were, were there, my my little kids were there, and I just remember watching them run around, and they have no idea what they're running around on, right? But I'm like, gosh, in a, in a couple of years, you're going to realize, like, wow, that's where I was. That's what I was doing. So, do you appreciate the balance of academics and athletics at the Division three level? You know, I do. I, I, I mean, I've always, you know, certainly guys, you know, especially guys that we have recruited, you know, we want them to make a decision where baseball is a high priority. Right. And 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 it's not baseball first school second by any means, but there can be that, you know, that 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 wholesome. um, But also, you know, in a way, I don't I don't like how it's all you know, this misnomer that is all pushed on academics at the division three level and that it's, you know, I mean, by the way, I say it all the time. I say it every year. Great teams. You can succeed at any place academically. Right. And, and, you know, once you start to get your mindset out of, once you start to get your mindset out of, Hey, A, B, C, D, F, and you get your, Hey, I want to gain experience. I want to figure out how to work hard it'll, it'll translate between the field. It'll translate into the classroom. And it's like, if I give a great effort in this class or on my assignments and I get a C, then so be it. Right. And it's not just chasing a grade. It's, it's chasing the experience. And it's just a four year commitment to extend what you're coming in with and leave with a better understanding of what the world is, is preparing you for. And so, I mean, very rarely, you know, are people going to sit down and be like, well, what was your GPA? Right. I mean, some of these graduate programs and some of these fields, yeah, grades are important to set a standard, but mostly it's going to be, well, how, you know, if you were given this leadership role, how would you handle it? If you were given this personality and this group to work with, like, how would you handle this situation? Like these questions that, you know, if you just go and it's that puke knowledge all the time, then it's hard to it's hard to really take experiences and grow from that and learn from that. Instead, it's just, all right, well, I want to get an A. I want to memorize this information. And then I'm not going to think about it for the rest of the semester or the rest of my life. And so there is that balance, I think, that Division three and an education at, again, I can only speak at Lynchburg and, you know, my time as a graduate assistant at VCU and graduate student at VCU in terms of my education. But, I mean, my experience was, I'm going to get a well-rounded education, but I want it to prepare me for my passions in life, not for, hey, I've got to meet this grade and this success and this GPA in order to feel like I've made it as a student athlete throughout that. And I think that, you know, can be experienced everywhere, depends on how you kind of go into it and what, you know, the people you're around and the framework that they're going to put in place for you to, you know, pursue that too, right? Everybody's a little bit different on how they challenge their student athletes, you know, but yeah, student is important, you know. But you're but a good example of that. I mean, you balance. look at what you did as a player on the field and also in the classroom. I mean, you were excellent at both. You excelled at both. You excelled in the classroom and you excelled on the field. 
Well, I appreciate that. But, you know, the classroom thing was, again, um, it's just hard work. I, I'm not the, I was actually talking with a buddy. The same way. That. It, was, it, just, just, it was just pure work. Never the smartest person in the room. Never just, just was fi- figured out how to work. And I think, you know, that, that has helped aid me and other areas of my life to help me kind of be motivated, um, you know, through that work process, you know, and I have, I've never devalued that. Um, and that, you know, again, you, you observe and you, you know, fortunate to be around, you know, parents and upbringing where that's important. And, you know, you want to be able to relay that stuff to, um, you know, to your players, you know, and to your system that, you know, hard, hard work pays off. You don't have to be the best. You don't have to be the brightest. You don't have to be the A or the 400 hitter. You just, you work hard. Like, yeah, hopefully you reap the benefit on the field, but it's really no magic formula. Like you can do this, like everything else is going to set up pretty good for you. How'd you, how'd you handle guys that, that maybe weren't as enthused about the classroom? That was hard for me because I, I was not that type of player. Yeah. And I was not that type of coach either. That that was hard for me dealing with players that, that didn't value going to class. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, we, we had, you know, I mean, I think over my career, I mean, certainly there were issues where guys were less motivated and more motivated on the field than they were in the classroom. And I mean, I certainly can understand, you know, that perspective school and that desire and that drive isn't for everybody. And that doesn't mean that they're lazy. The laziness kicks in when, Hey, I haven't been to class in a week and a half. Well, that that's lazy, right? You can go to class and you can, you can sit in the front, you can be present, you can be engaged. And that, that honestly, the small school is half the battle. You know, if you can build that relationship with your professor and things like that, uh, for the guys that, that maybe weren't as motivated, I think it was very much, it was very much an approach of, Hey, the consequences aren't, you know, something physical, like that's not going to get you to change your behavior. You know, what are the, What's the messaging that we as a coaching staff can give our players that will help engage and change their behavior? And, and physical stuff just isn't, in my opinion, I mean, again, I, you, you, you can poll 100 coaches and we might all say differently, but that may in the moment, you know, lead to them to make a, a shift because they don't want to do that again. But ultimately, you're trying to challenge them to think differently over the long term, right? So you want to give them some grace, at least early on. And again, if it's habitual, then yeah, you have to take it and raise the level and raise the expectation or that ultimate consequence of, listen, you're just not invested into the core values of this program, but you just challenge their thinking. You, you, you know, relate with them as best as you can, but you also say, Hey, well, if this is, if baseball and this program and this team is important to you, or it's important that you know, you get a degree because you're the first one that's ever done that. And that challenge, it's like, don't paint this picture that it has to be like your friend's degree or it has to be like this. But here's some absolutes that need to happen in order for you to be successful in the classroom. Um, and if you don't do those, then I can tell you right now, it's going to be very hard road and it's not going to end very well. Um, so, and it's going to carry over on the field too. It's absolutely, it's absolutely. A, it's a lifestyle mentality. And you know, I would try to relay that to guys. I'm like, yep. Hey, even if you don't like this class, do well in it, show up. It, yep. It's going to carry over into everything else that you do. Cause you're going to end up again, developing those behavior habit changes that you can end up doing things that maybe you don't enjoy as much just by showing up and, and, and yep. being present. Exactly. Yep. Being present. Exactly. There is just like, Hey, 
you know, you have an opportunity here that, you know, I don't care what program you're in, you know, you have an opportunity here that is, is bigger than yourself, you know, and you have to think that way. And if, if you don't, then again, like you, you, you can probably be successful maybe somewhere else, but just not, you know, at Lynchburg. And you, again, you challenge them that way. And hopefully, you know, they look up in a year two years, three years, and it's not a, aha, thank you. It's a, okay, I know now what I've dealt with. And I see this same thing in another player that's coming through. I want to be able to encourage them and express kind of what I dealt with and how I got through that. Right. And there's just so many people that you can connect to resources and support groups on campus that will help enable you to be successful because they want you to be, that's their job. That's their responsibility. And they value that just as much as the coach does. So I think being able to recognize that is pretty important with those guys. I mean, did you have to raise many expectations when you got there in 2018? I mean, you had been there as a player, but you guys hadn't won an ODAC. Uh, I hadn't been to the ODAC tournament since 2014 when you show up and you make it. I mean, was what were some of those culture things that maybe you had to, to shift when you got there? Not that they maybe weren't doing it before you got there, but what were yeah, some of those no. conversations like when you got there? Yeah, I mean, culture, you know, that's the buzzword. But, you know, it's um, – I mean, my – my passion like is building teams. Like I love like team building and um, you know, it starts with, you know, one, your vision, right. And as being a head coach, it was, it was certainly my vision, but then being able to communicate, communicate that with your coaching staff so that they understand what your vision is and then collecting their parts of your vision. And then, so being able to kind of put that in place the first year and establish the culture that is now in place at Lynchburg and that's why I know that continuing on with Bees and Oscar and Mike and the core group that's been there with me really from the jump, these things will continue to evolve. They'll continue to get stronger and build as we continue to do the right things. And yeah, on the field helps by continuing that standard of championships and winning. I think er, you know early on in that transition, um, you had to kind of sift through you know who is going to help you build that culture. It wasn't even like, Oh, who's going to help us win games on the field. It was more about who is going to help us build and aid in this culture. And we found some fantastic guys that, you know, maybe just on the field lacked, you know, some talent here or there, or just really uh, lacked that next level edge to win enough games to be considered successful. But I look back and I think, you know, being able to establish that in the first year, year and a half, take that first recruiting class and bring them in and just adapt them to the culture that we wanted, which is this is important. We can win at a high level, but we can only win at a high level if you have a desire off the field to do that as well. And so you started to see the work pick up, but you started to see some of the decisions off the field, you know, make a little bit more sense to what we believed in and how we felt. And so, uh, yeah, I think that was, you know, a, a huge part of our evolution in the first 18 months was very little to do with baseball discussions and more to do with uh, culture discussions and here are our core values and, and here are our standards. And, you know, we, we just, we didn't have a lot of rules. It was more of like, Hey, we need to, you know, we need to embrace, um, the bigger than me mentality. And the only thing we ever asked them to do is like in anything that you're doing, just stop and think about what you're doing before you do it. Um, and if you 
get crossed up or it starts to hurry up on you, whether it's baseball or bigger life things like remove yourself, like take a step back, remove yourself, slow it down. And again, a lot of the things that baseball be the observer, can I love that. Yeah. Be the observer, you know, when, when, yep. it, when it starts to get fast, step back, take a yep. breath and, and just be yeah. the observer of what's going on. Yep. Relate to what's going on instead of trying to predict yep. the outcome. Just Good luck. slow. <laughs> yep. Slow down. And, you know, for an 18 to 20, I mean, heck, I, I, it's hard for me to do that even at 40, you know? So it's, um, yeah, it's always a work in progress till the day we die. It's a work in progress, but, um, you know, I, I think that, that motivation and that, that drive to, to, again, just be a great teammate, um, is, is, is what's important messaging in our program. And, and, and we'll continue that a daily reminder practice games or those daily reminders that you're giving them. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's very little to do with, Hey, this guy's this, this superstar, this guy's this really great player. And it's more like, listen, you all, like you all have a gift. You all can bring something to the table and yes, your desire to play is what has attracted us to you to bring you to this program, but not everybody can play at that level and not yet. And so what else can you do along the way? And that's why I like coach Robichaud saying like work while you wait, Right? And it's not just on the field, but you got to work while you wait in the classroom. You got to work while you wait and doing all those other necessary things so that when your chance does come on the field, you're prepared for it. You're confident with it. And um, yeah, I just I took that saying, you know, he had a lot of good ones and he had a lot of good um, nuggets of information that that I've stolen from him and um, and appreciate him sharing those things. And I think that, again, is what what coaching is about. You're, you're stealing a lot of different things. And sometimes you're making them, you know, your own in your own way and your own personality. And other times it's like, all right, I'm, I've observed that. And I don't really like that. I don't really like how that has been. And that's okay too, because it may work for them, which might not work for you. And that's, that's the cool part about coaching. I really do believe that. You were very complimentary of your assistants in, in Iowa, which that was one of the things in our conversation that stuck out is how complimentary you were of them. Did you know you're going to hire those guys when you took over in 18? Yeah, well, I, you know, I had worked hard on bees because we were, you know, kind of um, we were good friends. And then coincidentally, I'm at Washington and Lee. He's at VMI. So we we're in the same place for two years and, and continue to grow our friendship there. And so when I was considering taking the job, I knew it was going to be a heavy task to convince him. But, um, you know, was sharing kind of, again, my vision. And I think he just he wanted to do something different with hopefully an opportunity to be a head coach one day as well and felt like, you know, this move could do that. I was fortunate to, you know, kind of fall in with Coach Solbach. He had actually served on the staff the year before with Coach Abel and through a mutual friend, he was able to connect me with him. And just the moment you meet Mike, you're like, man, we got to have you. And then, um, you know, the Garcia brothers, Oscar first four years ago as our G.A., uh, actually, Andrew Wright, um, who was at um, uh, Charleston at the time, was leaving to take a job, um, I think, with the Yankees, now with the Red Sox. But Andrew had called me and said, hey, I was this was a guy that I was going to give uh, my GA spot to, but I'm leaving. Uh, he's in a you know, he's in a tough spot again. Andrew calls me. I'm like, I'm going to listen. And, and, and so, you know, we had Oscar down and literally within two minutes, I knew, Hey, if this guy wants a job, I hope he takes it. And he was a game changer. I mean, bees is exceptional. Mike's exceptional, but Oscar's in, infectious attitude, his energy was this, 
that was a changer for our program when he got there two years in. We had kind of done the grunt work and, and really established um, we had established what you know we wanted it to look like, and then really the blessings of of, of Oscar and then Gabe. Um, being able to kind of come. And then I can't forget Cody Ellis, who really kind of was our first graduate assistant that really helped us again, not the finer days of our program in terms of wins and losses, but really from the ground up, help us, you know, help us strategize and get to that point. And yeah, I would not be having any of these conversations or would have never been any type of national coach of the year honors or anything like that without those guys. And, and that's the the truth. And I know, you know, coaches get on this platform and that's, you know, what they feel like they need to say. But I truly and honestly know that in my heart. I know the people in our program know that, that those guys make us go because they're uh, they're infectious, they're incredible workers, and they just have a great understanding of what we all shared. And so when I stepped away and knew Bees was going to become and be promoted into that head coaching role, like obviously it was a bittersweet moment of stepping away from something that I've done for 17 years and as a head coach for the last 10, but also a sweet feeling knowing that he has more than earned his opportunity to do this and knowing that he shares a lot of the values that I share. And he's a big chunk of why we're in a position we're in. So I'm really confident, you know, whether I come back as an assistant or whether the program keeps going, it will start to run. It will continue to run, you know, with or without my presence. And I'm proud to say that, you know, we were the kind of the first guys to be able to help, you know, build that thing in the right direction. I mean, how did practice kind of evolve after those first couple of years? And then you added a couple of new assistants. How did practice evolve then in the fall? The competition part of it, you know, instead of, you know, there, there are times and places for the training and the swing and, and, and the mentality there of, Hey, I want to get better in skill development. I mean, I do, I'm a firm believer that takes, you know, that takes place away from the practice time, you know, pre post practice, some individual work for certain, but in team practices, the dynamic changed and our program really took the next step when everything we tried to do was competitive, you know, between competitive at bats, um, machine type stuff, just trying to make it as stressful as possible on our hitters, especially and our defense so that when the game came, it was a relief not to see the big hack attack and the junior coming at you. And it was just a guy at 86, 88. And you're like, all right, I can handle this guy. I can't handle that machine as it's getting under my hands and it's chewing my, you know, chewing my forearms off and everything else that they, they say and hate about machine work. Um, you know, and again, there's, there's a balance, there's a time and a place for it, but I think, yeah, once we started to mix that in with base running and defensive execution, and it wasn't just these, you know, methodical drills. And I think a lot of that needs to be spent in prep work, but once you get going, man, it's, it's all with intent. It's all with that intent and energy level to keep it going because we battle boredom and frustration all the time. And if we can avoid those things in practice as much as possible, then you look up and you're like, whoa, where did the day go? You know? And so I think that, you know, and, 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 and it was Were a collection of that much with coach keys. It just always seemed like VCU was so competitive. Yeah. Well, VCU is unique because at the time too, the access to, to the diamond um, just wasn't as flexible, I think, as maybe it is now. Um, you know, there was a lot of dynamics that just, I mean, there were times where you wouldn't practice or you just do a lot of small group work in the cages or there was the boneyard across the street where, 
just like old rec field that they, and then they had a Franklin street indoor gym. So you were utilizing like three or four different places. And so it's hard to kind of establish. That's what's really incredible about his journey and his success was people don't realize like they, they were all over the place in Richmond. They never really had the whole team together, but very few times in the fall. And most of that was spent inter-squatting. So um, he had to do it. You know, he, he was essentially a, a, a northern team in a in a southern spot. And he would have been doing that for years and obviously excelling great players throughout the program over those years, too. Do you have any fell forward moments, something you thought was going to set you back, but now looking back, maybe helped you go forward? Ah, uh, well, my mental health. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, <laughs> um, I think that was one of those things that I was like, man, am I because coaching is such a unique profession, right? It's just one of those things where you're you're with the people in your program and your coaches more than you're with your own family. And so it's just unique in the sense that, you know, you're spending a lot of time recruiting these players. They may not come, right? There's no certainty in this. And so, yeah, once you, I think my, my problem, and I think my drawback even to this day probably is like how me personally, I measure success. And, and for the longest time, I think, which has led me kind of down this road of being able to take a step back and, and kind of get myself healthy is because I've just, I've, I've, I've been so obsessed with winning, you know? And so it, it, it does impact relationships more than you would like in a negative way, or it impacts your close relationships with your family or your friends. And so it's not just the physical time, but it's the it. mental I time, right? Your just mind is always in other places. And well, why did that recruit say no? Or why did that person say no, they weren't going to come to us? And, you know, you just start to filter that out and it leads you to a thought process that just isn't encouraging to yourself. So it's kind of that me versus me mentality. So I think that is always as a coach, like that's a struggle that I've, that I've had, but you don't want to outwardly say that because then you're like, man, I'm not, I'm not in control or I'm not confident in my leadership or whatever those vulnerable buzzwords are. You start to second guess, can I do this? And can I do this to this level? Right. Because you won a national championship, your team wins a national championship. And there was a lot of joy and there's a lot of gratitude to get to that point. But for me, it was 17 years of like relief of like, I just, I've been thinking about doing this for the longest time, but what have I given up to be able to do this? And, you know, some things you're worth, you know, are worth sacrificing for that. And then other things like playing catch with your kids or being able to pick them up from school or being able to do that. It's like, I don't want to sacrifice that anymore. And I feel like, Hey, I've been able to accomplish what I needed to do. I've proven what I needed to do to myself, most importantly, and now I'm ready for the next chapter, whatever that looks like in three, four five months or a year, two years, that'll figure itself out. And that's where you kind of put your faith in other things. Uh, was there a, one moment where it was like, OK, I, like this is maybe abnormal because you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Uh, like in terms of how I felt. Yes. Yeah. Um, certainly abnormal. Yeah, I think. Um, I've had one a lot panic of attack, by the way. It's the worst thing yeah. that's ever happened to me. I, yeah, no, I, I've, I was I've at the had... office late doing recruiting stuff, and you could not have told me that I was not having a heart attack. I had to call yeah. an ambulance because nobody was yeah. around. I was in, in my office late working, and there was nobody around, and I called the ambulance, and I went to the hospital. Yeah. Cause, and you could not have told me I was not having a heart attack. 
And then you question, right? The aftermath of those things is what in the heck just happened, yes. right? Because you just can't process it. You don't know, like, it's just going to pop. It just creeps up on you. Yep. Yeah, I'm not a psychiatrist. I don't, yeah. you know, I have no understanding of that field. And I say, I think again, like allowing yourself to ask for that help and that vulnerability side is just not something that I'm accustomed to, right? Because again, you look around and the world is telling you like your success is wins. Your success is wealth. Your success is, you know, getting into these VIP lounges and the, the da, 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 but it's, it's not right. And so if you believe that for the longest time, I think you just, it wears on you and you just have no idea and you just take the path of least resistance and Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable as an oxymoron. I'm comfortable feeling this way and I know how to do it this way. And so I'm just going to continue to do it this way. And then you get to a point where like, hey, your, your, your long-term health is at stake. And either somebody is going to tell you, you need to take a step back or hopefully like myself, you can like come to that internal realization that I've got to take a step back or, hey, it's going to lead to more things. It's going to lead to more issues. And so I think that, you know, is something that you certainly question because you don't know, right? Like you said, you don't know what you don't know. And I'm starting to figure out over the years, a little bit more of that pattern and a little bit more of, hey, when I go into this depressive state or this high anxious state that may lead to a panic attack or something that I haven't really felt too often before, I kind of feel that coming on and I can say, hey, here are my strategies, here are my tools, you know, my box breathing or taking some time with scripture or taking some time by myself or whatever it might be that particular day, being able to really like do that, you know, being able to really kind of dive into that and, and, and own that versus, oh, no, I'm going to be good. Like, give me, you know, give me some time. Like, I'm going to be OK. I'll be fine tomorrow. I'll be fine next week. Or, hey, I've got something to look forward to. No, man, it's in the now. Right. Your your future Mine is sitting with it. Just sit with it. Past. I love that term. Yeah. Just sit with it. If I feel anxious or I feel depressed, I just I end up just sitting there and sitting with it. And, and meditation yeah. has helped me enormously work through all those things because now it's again you become the observer and and it, it's not a freak out it's just like okay i'm feeling something right now but i'm just gonna breathe into it here i'm gonna i'm gonna sit with it here for a little bit it eventually it dissipates but you know in the past that would get me you know it would it would build and build and build and now in the last you know six seven years i think that the pause is better i think the finally figuring out how to not let external factors dictate how you feel yeah has been a big one for me yeah. where it's there's no external factors anymore that that dictate how i feel and and almost like you're taking charge of it a little bit more but you know i think that that validation piece where you, where you start to to search for outside you know experiences or things to to make you feel better and validate your experience i think that's a tough that's a tough road to go down yeah I think we've all seen where that ends up. It doesn't end yeah. up well, you know, whether people chasing fame or, you know, chasing the wrong things like it, that, that path leads to somewhere that you eventually don't want to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a dangerous, it's a dangerous road when you're seeking validation from, from others. And as much as I understand that and certainly you got to live it though, <laughs> that's yep. easier, that's a easier said than done because it's shoved down, it's shoved down your throat. 
Yeah. You know, social no, media has done a I mean, lot to that. To, to, it, yeah. it gets shoved down your throat that you, yeah. you think you should have your best bolt every day and everybody's dealing with issues. You just don't yep. see it. You know, the, some people are really good at hiding what they're going through. You, yeah. d- you just don't see it. And, and you know, very rarely, and, and hopefully I can bring, you know, some light to that. That's why we've done a lot of these and they've all been great. I get a lot of responses from listeners that appreciate these types of episodes because I think it shines light on that, you know, even the most successful that we have, like we all deal with things yeah. or I think it makes it more human. And, and also, I don't think it, I think it makes it seem like it's not impossible. It's, it's not an impossible journey. You know, it's not, you know, there, you know, people are regular people and people have struggles, you know, there's a daily struggle for all of us. And I think that's what I've appreciated the most about the guests that have come on here is that it just shows that we are human. Well, all of us are human. We're all human. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate that. I appreciate, you know, your willingness to, um, you know, share these topics, right. Especially with coaches, because it is such a, it is such an awesome network of people. And I can't tell you how fortunate I am to the people and, and specifically the coaches. Um, you have a great you know, network, by the way. Out. You have a great They have network. reached out. Yeah. You know, and I it's care just, about you, I mean, a lot. you have a wonderful Even coaches that I've, I don't even know that have reached out or directly messaged me or made comments about, hey, I appreciate you sharing that. I felt the same way. And I think you look around and, and a lot of our coaches at different levels are, are feeling that same way, right? They have the pressure of the love for their family, their relationships away from the sport that they're coaching. And then they're dealing with some of these other internal things, anxiety, depression, whatever. And it's just like, no, it's not just our 18 to 22 year olds. It's, it's, it's a lot more than just that. And again, if it's regulated and it's at a level where coaches can deal with it, then great, but we just have been taught like, oh, we'll just we'll just keep just this to ourselves because this is not this is not a good standard for our kids to see, or this is not a good emotion for our kids to see, and that's just I, I just think that's wrong. I just think that's it's wrong. A bad I think narrative. They desire, narrative. yeah, they desire that fellowship. They desire that likeness, and and if you and that like mindedness in a, in a way, and so not to say they want you to be struggling. But all they need to hear is, hey, I, I understand. Like, I understand what you're dealing with. And and not to trump their story with your story or something like that, but just to listen, to be able to say, hey, I can't maybe help you with this situation, but I'm glad to listen. But I'm also glad to walk you to the people that need you need to sit in front of so that you can get the help. And this first step of asking for help or a desire to seek more information about what you're dealing with. That's huge for these kids and these young men. And if they, if they don't feel like they have the program and the atmosphere to do that, then that's, that again, is going to, it's going to torment your program beyond what you even recognize. And if you don't allow those conversations to happen, um, it can be really detrimental to your program because uh, even if it's peer to peer or just, Hey, it's, it's okay. Like it's okay to feel this way, but what's not okay is for you to continue to treat yourself disrespectfully. Like this is where you need to put uh, a finish line on that. And you need to move towards uh, seeking, you know, seeking the appropriate help. And it goes with coaches too. You know, I don't care if you're 60 years old and 
grew up not having any idea what this means and still kind of refusing to believe that this is something that falls within our student athletes and, and falls within what they deal with daily. Like, no, that's just, I don't care who you are. Like it's a real thing and, and needs to be addressed more publicly by people just to be able to share, right. There's no banner to it. There's no foreman to it. It's just like sharing amongst each other can just help. It can help relate. It can help people guy and be like, okay, well, all right, well, that person is dealing with the same things. I'm sorry that you're dealing with that, but all right. I, I, what did you do? Like, how did you, exactly. how did you take the proper steps to get there? And I think that's where coaching is really awesome because there's so many great coaches out there that do care about each other and you may be competitors and you may not know each other very well, but when push comes to shove and something of this serious nature comes to light, those guys are going to be the first ones there being like, man, like I had no idea, but I'm dealing with the same thing. How did you deal with it? And that's also some of the things beyond the field, right? We share our first and thirds and our offensive philosophy and all that, but it's, it's more than just that. And I think that's really when you, you take that next step as a coach um, and you really raise that level. If you can identify success as something other than wins and losses and all the other stuff. So. And, and for you, I'm excited. You know, when I saw it, obviously it, you know, it's like, okay, you know, here's another one. Somebody's dealing with the same things, but then it's also, okay, give them a chance to, to recharge and, and reevaluate and then get back into, you know, whatever your timeline is. But, it, you know, yeah. again, I think, you know, I think that was kind of a common theme during COVID too, is coaches were actually forced to get away from it. And I think everybody was able to just kind of take a little bit of a breath, get away from it. Now COVID's been gone for a while so you're kind right. of back into it but for me i was like okay good for him like he's he's able to to recognize that because there's not a lot of guys that can do that like they they don't recognize it and they just keep going at it and going at it and going, going at it i appreciate the fact that you recognize it and you're able to make an adjustment well thank you and again thanks for your work and highlighting this and, and bringing this to you know the attention of, of others because i think your your work can really help um again kind of navigate um, kind of navigate, um, you know, some other coaches that again, maybe feel on that and, you know, kind of help bridge the gap, you know, for them on, Hey, here's some tools and some ways that you can get support. Yep. Yep. Well, I appreciate your time, coach. Thanks for Thanks, everything. Ryan. Thanks yep. for having me. Yep. Appreciate the yes, time sir. as well. I'm down the road. Appreciate so if you need something, hit me up. <laughs> appreciate it. Take care and look forward to running into you in the future. Appreciate coach Jones's willingness to share on what he's going through. Mental Health Day was last week, so this is a great time to check in with the people that you care about. You never know what someone is going. You never know what some. You never know what someone. You never know what someone is going through. I hope that when the time is ready for him, he gets back in the game. Congrats again to Coach Jones and the Harness Program on their first national championship. Thanks again to Jim Richardson, John Litchfield, Zach Hale, Matt West, and Antonio Walker in the ABC office for all their help on the podcast. Feel free to reach out to me via email or brownlee at abca.org, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at coachb underscore abca, or direct message me via the MyBCA app. This is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.
Yep, wait for another. <laughs>